0: Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barkers UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the various changes to spending habits brought on by three successive lockdowns and whether they will persist as restrictions ease, with Miles Sherry, investment consultant, Rob Smith, head of behavioural finance, and Stephen Peters, senior fund manager. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Word on the Street. As we come out of this third lockdown, I'm sure everyone can agree it's been brilliant to see a hive of activity really on the UK high street again. I don't know about you, but getting a peak time slot in a pub garden where I live down in London is starting to feel almost as tricky as correctly predicting The lottery numbers each week. And we all know that lockdowns have led to some very significant changes to our daily lives. But I think the question now is whether the changes we've made and the new habits that we've formed will actually stick and whether some of them will simply fade away. And this really probably has to be considered in terms of where we spend our money, but also how we spend it. So talking about things like online shopping and and offline shopping. And so, to tackle this, I'm joined by Stephen Peters from our manager selection team. And we've also got Rob Smith back, our head of behavioral finance, to consider what drives our spending habits and whether any of this could actually influence our overarching investment decisions. So, Rob, maybe starting with you, this is admittedly quite a broad topic, but are there any sort of general high level themes from the past year that you've noticed? And do you think generally that many of the new habits that we have formed will persist? as restrictions
0: hopefully continue to, to ease. Hi Miles. Yeah, like you say, it's it's a pretty broad a broad topic area to to talk about. But I think what you know, what we're already seeing is undoubtedly there's gonna be that that bounce, if you like, in in people rushing out to try and do the things that maybe they haven't been able to do over the past year, you know, and, and particularly going and sitting out in a pub garden at the moment seems seems very appealing. I guess the question really is then more into the longer term, you know, will what will you know, happen, you know, in the next six to 12 months to, to, to a few years time and, and how many of those things will stick. I think when we look at behavior, typically, you know, we try and look at where we can see insight from from experience. And I think when it comes to something like this, there's there's not a huge amount that compares to what we've been through. Obviously, a lot of the behavior change force on us has been forced rather than by choice. Um, and that, I think that makes a little bit of a difference. So, you know, the, the idea that just everything will will stick the way it is 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 obviously you know too far on one extreme because the reality is a lot of that's not necessarily by choice but then you know i think on the, on the other hand you could say that maybe things will go back to normal everyone's craving the normality they had before but the reality is that you know habits have changed there's a lot of science or and a lot of research around you know how habits change and you know there's a UCL study done that long ago that talks about you know 66 days being uh, the average required for behaviour change to stick, but it, you know, that's, you know, a very aggregate figure. What really matters is the sort of behaviour you're talking about. How much is it habitual? How much is it not? You know, because something like online shopping, which is a little bit more, or, or shopping for your groceries, I should say, which is a little bit more habitual, you, you know, you might see a lot more change in behaviour in that because of the situation we've been through, versus something like, you know, the the type of, you know, going on going on holidays where, you know, it's, it's, it's slightly less habitual and, and where you choose to go on your holidays and how, how what we've been through is going to, you know, impact kind of that. So I think, you know, it, it's very hard to, to take a one-size-fits-all approach to this as always.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess thinking about the pandemic in itself, you know, it's, it's impacted people quite differently. But the reality is that whilst very sadly some people's lives have been severely impacted over the past year, be that through, you know, loss of life or financial hardship, Many on the financial side have been you know, very lucky to actually remain working or have, of course, been on the furlough scheme, still getting about 80% of their income. And so given we've not been able to do a lot, as you said, this has really led to the savings ratio, which is basically measuring how much disposable income is set aside by UK households. We've seen that rise significantly. And the Bank of England's chief economist, I think it was back in December last year, was making the point that they reckon around 100 billion pounds may have been saved um, last year across UK families. So the natural question there is: Will that simply be unleashed on the economy as restrictions are eased? It, it maybe isn't quite that simple, is it?
0: No, not really. And as as we as I talked about just a minute ago, obviously it, it sort of depends a little bit upon you know the circumstances. As you mentioned there, the the path of the past year to 18 months has been different for for different cohorts within society. And when we look at where these savings have accrued to, they are definitely skewed towards the higher income, the higher earning uh, individuals and families. And what we see historically is that those families tend to spend a little bit less and have a a smaller propensity to to spend. But I think from my point of view, something that was looked at recently that I thought was really interesting was this idea that, that spending inferring wealth and spending can be looked at in kind of two ways. One is that, does it kind of indicate that you've got money because obviously you can afford to spend it? Or does it actually indicate that maybe you don't have that much money because you're spending it? And when they look at people's beliefs and, and how people view sort of spending, do they think it indicates someone's wealth level? They see a correlation in a relationship with the financial situation, so whether someone's financially vulnerable. So people who think that, believe that spending implies wealth tend to actually be in a in a more vulnerable financial situation than those that don't. So from that, what you can take away potentially is that, you know, given that that is one of the drivers of, of spending behavior is that potentially those with, you know, in a more comfortable financial situation aren't as as in as much of a rush if you like to go out and spend thinking that you know that that's one element that leads to sort of believing that it, it, it's a sign of of wealth if you like but i think more broadly we know that and we're already starting to see some of that pent-up sort of demand be be leaked out but the reality is that it's not you know it, it, it's not as easy to predict quite how that's gonna gonna pan out and the and, and i think the probably headline is that not as much of it will be spent possibly as as, as as it's easy to assume.
1: Got you. So that's some useful high level initial context, but maybe bringing you in here, Stephen, what are you seeing from the actual data? Have we seen signs that the pandemic has affected maybe generations differently? Have we seen uniform habits formed or does it more depend perhaps on age and, and that sort of thing?
2: Yeah. Hi, Mars. I think you're right. I think there is some evidence that, you know, demographics do play into it. You know, clearly, if you're got a family, young family, your, your need to spend is maybe greater than if you, you know, your grandparents and, and, and you know, maybe um, further on in your life. So there's definitely differences across the across the demographics. But I just highlight uh, what Rob said about the, um, you know, the, the savings by by income brackets. The wealthier are saving more than the less wealthy, and the fund managers are talking about this as well. In, on one hand, you talk about this pent-up savings that uh, is about to hit the high street. On the other hand, a lot of them are concerned that it may not be as uh, as much of a home run as as they as you might hope. For exactly that reason, the uh, marginal propensity to save or the marginal propensity to spend, rather, by the the wealthy is is less than it is than uh, down the uh, down the income scale
1: and rob i guess from a behavioral standpoint is there any kind of key takeaways that that you'd share around why maybe different generations tend to spend money differently or maybe how some of those trends have differently differently impacted different generations
0: i i mean again you know this is quite a you know there's a lot to consider but a lot of it is around context and and kind of social um sort of norms and and things like that so you know you see that different generations grew up during different periods and, and had their, inform- their formative years, we call kind of formative years, particularly financially formative years, which tend to be sort of, you know, late teens, early 20s, start of careers. And it's, you know, the experiences you go through then that, that, that can end up shaping a lot of how you, you know, how you approach your finances and, you know, whether you are, you know, more likely to sort of spend and save and, and, and those sorts of things. But also it depends upon, you know, what, more at large, you know, what are the prevailing kind of social norms, and and, and what are this, the trajectory of change, and so something we saw before the pandemic was, you know, in younger generations the uh, propensity to spend on experiences um, rather than necessarily on material goods changing a little bit from previous generations, and so I mean that's something that's interesting to think about whether that will that will continue, you know, and I think through the pandemic but we haven't been able to do as many enjoying as many of those experiences and things and so potentially people have been sort of buying more goods but will that will that maintain in the same direct trajectory as it as it did before the pandemic or or will, will the pandemic change the course of that
1: yeah some some big questions indeed but let's maybe turn now and have a look at some particular examples of different trends so mike haslam was actually on the podcast two weeks ago, well worth a listen if you if you didn't catch that one. But he was talking about what fund managers are broadly up to. And so spoke about how working from home trends, as an example, may persist, thinking about areas like video technology, cyber security, that sort of thing. But also, let's also think about online retail. That has unsurprisingly also boomed over the past 12 months or so. So I guess the question for you, Stephen, is do the cues to enter some UK shops over the past couple of weeks suggest that trend of online shopping maybe won't actually stick around as much as people initially thought, or is that just temporary?
2: I think there's no doubt that some of it is structural and some of it will remain. We will see how it ends up, but you know, there are some things that you maybe don't want to buy online. So there's one example, for instance, which is a, a high street retailer of high-end watches, Rolexes. I mean, they came to market um, 12, 18, 24 months ago, and they've been a roaring success so uh, I think people will still want to see and feel and touch something of, of that nature. So I don't think the high street is dead. I just think maybe you'll be shopping in the high street in a slightly different way. But equally, the uh, the online trend, as you as you allude to, um, throws up some other interesting angles and other interesting potential investments. Um, maybe just you know maybe the, uh, the the support network around actually doing online shopping rather than the online shops themselves.
1: And I suppose another example, thinking about it from a personal experience, walking up and down Clapham High Street, there's a couple of bicycle shops there. I've noticed that they've had pretty significant queues outside of them throughout the pandemic. So presumably that means that cycling is a bit of a booming industry, maybe at the expense of car sales. Do you think they'll come back? I don't know about you, but I've noticed quite a few TV ads recently about online platforms essentially selling cars, offering Home delivery, so maybe that is the new normal in that space.
2: It it, it it may well be, and there are companies, listed companies in the UK, which um, own some of those car um, online car retailers. I mean, one of them's listing in the US. There's another one which is part owned by a a UK listed company, which and they've been very very successful. I was listening to a manager the other day talk about Sports Direct, the you know the well known sports retailer. They own lots of different brands, one of which is a cycle brand and. This particular manager was um, suggesting that, in their opinion, the cycle brand was a bit of a hidden hidden gem within Sports Direct. I mean, not just going to buy your trainers um, in the shop, but actually this uh, this cycle brand is a uh, you know is is well worth well worth it um, by itself. So there's some really interesting things there. I'm not a cyclist myself, but I do know that in my house clothes get bought and then returned when shopping online, and that reverse logistics angle is a really interesting one how do you once you've bought your um, not personally but if somebody buys a dress or a top or whatever and they don't want it how do you get it back to the retailer in good condition the uh, the people that offer the companies that offer that reverse logistics service are looking increasingly attractive as many managers think the the switch of a large chunk of saving to what large amount of spending to online retailers is is structural and permanent
1: so Rob, thinking about some of these you know, changes that we're seeing in the short term to consumer behavior, we've spoken about you know, returning to restaurants, pubs, that kind of thing. We've seen that in many ways play through to stock market returns um, since, since this year started. So if we think about the parts of the market that performed very well last year, it was technology companies in general, sort of consumer discretionary names as well. But what we've seen is in many ways the complete reversal so far with you know the more beaten up sectors that underperformed the market last year, like financials, like energy companies, performing much better. What's really interesting, I think, from that is if we were having this discussion maybe six months ago, there were many fund managers out there that were being celebrated for this amazing performance they were delivering, in part due to that sort of natural positioning that they took, whereas now some of those managers are are actually being questioned, aren't they? So that to me is maybe, again, a sign of how, I guess, our investment decisions can be overtaken by short-term performance.
0: Yeah, of course. And I think just like, you know, just like looking at an individual, you know, stock and share or company, and we can be influenced by, very easily by the, you know, the recent past performance of that. It's it's the same, you know, when looking at fund managers, and you see that in, in the press and the kind of the way they're reported as well, is that, you know, like you say, those, those a few months ago, you know, more in the kind of Growth and tech sectors that were taking or, or having all the returns from the rebound from from the lows in 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 last year were obviously getting a lot of space in terms of and, and positive praise and yet now we've seen that kind of rotation come suddenly the question marks are are around and the reality is I know that Stephen probably has some views on this, but you know you've got to think about you know what is it that you're that you're looking for from a from a, a fund manager and actually you know As an individual, is there anything innate, you know, in your DNA that means you should be better than than someone else at at, at identifying good investments? A lot of it, to be honest, comes down to sort of process and and having good processes in place and a, and a, not just from an investment and a sort of financial perspective, but also to, to be able to be self-aware enough to know when, you know, potentially our own behavioral biases are, are Getting the better of us, and a good process will will do that. So it'll it'll not only help you know identify those companies that you think financially are the best, but it'll also help identify you know your own behaviour where potentially it's leading you awry. And so it's 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 definitely something to be aware of because you know from one month to the next, you know the best performing managers will will, will change over time. And so you just got to be careful of of that same chasing of performance, but just through managers.
1: Absolutely. And if you take the view, some trends will indeed stick, but maybe some of those trends have been exposed to that recent rotation we just spoke about. For some managers, Stephen, is that possibly an actual buying opportunity? I know you cover a number of different UK managers. They all typically have really quite different investment approaches and styles. So it's, of course, not a blanket answer. But but generally speaking, what is their thinking there?
2: Well, as you rightly say, everybody's got a different view. What I would say is for... For most, be it underlying fund managers or investors in those funds, it comes down to your time horizon. If you are willing and able to take a longer term view, be that five years or 10 years, you should be continuing to allocate to these different strategies, having a diversified approach to your investing, because no one style is guaranteed to outperform at any um, over the long term. Everything waxes and wanes. Since the vaccine news of november we've had a very very strong rotation towards value style investing after a decade or more of growth investing. Now is value investing here to stay, and should everybody switch their money out of one particular style and manager types and into others? No, absolutely not be be long term be diversified, and most importantly be smart don't listen and and believe the the uh, the clickbait or the the eye bait that you might read in your Sunday newspaper saying, has this manager or that manager lost their way? It's nothing to do with them losing their way. It's just normally to do with them and their style being out of favour over a shorter period of time.
1: And I guess for some investors who maybe want to take a, a view on the UK for whatever reason, should they should they be looking at the really deep, what we call deep value stuff, which basically means the really beaten up shares of very unloved companies who were those major lockdown losers? Are you maybe seeing any interest from fund managers there who have more of a value style approach? I think the point to make is shares have actually recovered a good chunk really already based on expected earnings recovery. Will that likely come through in the view of our managers?
2: It's the movement you've seen in some of those what's became known as COVID winners has been enormous. And the I would say in the last couple of weeks, that uh, rally has been broadening out. So the things that have rallied really strongly and hardest since November have started to taper off a bit. Then you've got the next wave, the next wave of winners of the things that have been, you know, are, are almost back from the dead. They're the ones that haven't perhaps picked up as strong and and people need a little bit more evidence before they go into it. Think about restaurant companies, think about cinema companies going back to the high street i mentioned a few weeks ago on the on this podcast that there had been a an online card retailer come to market through uh you know through coming to, you know an ipo but there's still a, a high street card re- uh, play a greetings card retailer which has been a very poor performer for many years now but people are thinking they've got opportunities to recover from a very very low base so yes managers are taking some deeper value names, but many of them, in fact, are finding some of the, the better, what they would regard as quality names, so steady, slow, but uh, you know, defensive earnings growth type names. They're finding those more attractive now. So they're rotating again out of the things that have rallied very, very strongly over the last few months and back into things that are a little bit more dependable and well-known.
1: Absolutely. I think the, the key takeaway here is it's about being extremely selective and, and really leaving it to the experts. After all, only time will tell You know what force changes we've made to our lives will actually stick as restrictions ease. The point is no one knows for sure. And as Will is always pointing out, that's why we have that diversified approach within our portfolios, not just across asset classes, but also, as you said, Stephen, having a range of managers with slightly different investment styles to basically try and prepare for a variety of different future paths. But look, we've hit time there, so we'll wrap things up. Thank you both for your insights and thanks too, as always, to our listeners. It's looking like a sunny weekend ahead, so enjoy and speak next week.
0: All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.